0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Welcome, everyone. We're delighted that you're able to be here this morning. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for this morning, uh, Dr. W. Robert Godfrey, who is the president emeritus of Westminster Seminary, California, and Professor Emeritus of Church History here as well. He has an MDiv from Gordon Conwell, an MA and PhD from Stanford. He's a URCNA minister. He's an author, a speaker, and a chairman of chairman of Ligonier, right? And most importantly, probably, a husband, a father to three, and a grandpa to five. So we're delighted that you're here with us, brother. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be back here. It's been a while since I've had an opportunity to speak in chapel. And uh, what all Chuck really needed to say is uh, he's someone who used to be someone. And uh, so... Uh, As I used to be, I'm glad to be here to do something, so uh, uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I want to read with you from Psalm 126, Psalm 126, a song of ascents. Let us hear God's own word. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping Bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So far the reading of God's word. Well, I understand that the theme for chapel on Thursdays this semester is contrasts. And it seems to me that this psalm presents us with an interesting, intriguing contrast. Uh, The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, but the Lord needs to restore the fortunes of Zion. There's the contrast. Uh, The psalm begins looking back at what great things the Lord had done for his people, but the psalmist looks at his own day and realizes great things still need to be done for his people. And so there's a contrast between what the Lord did and what the Lord needs to do from the perspective of the people. There's a contrast between the joy that the people had in the past in light of the Lord's restoration and the sorrow, the suffering they experience in the present because of the need for restoration. And uh, so I thought it was a fitting psalm for uh, this uh, series. And a fitting psalm, I think, for us uh, to encourage us uh, in our day. And uh, uh, this psalm might initially just be read as a statement that life has ups and downs. uh, That life has good times and bad times. And uh, you have to take the bad with the good. And uh, that's the way it is. But I think this psalm is saying more than that. Uh, This psalm is reflecting on a specific promise that the Lord made to his people. And it's on that theme of promise that I want to focus uh, in our time together. Uh, The promise of the Lord that he would restore the fortunes of Zion. This is a promise the Lord made. And it's a promise that he made in Deuteronomy chapter 30, as you all remember maybe don't, um, Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, is a declaration that the Lord promises to restore the fortunes of Zion. And uh, that phrase, the fortunes, or restore the fortunes, is, a, is an interesting phrase uh, which helps justify the study of Hebrew. Always an important thing to do. Um, And part of the justification of the study of Hebrew is to realize that the Hebrew scholars themselves are not 100% agreed on exactly what that phrase might mean. It always reminds me, since uh, we're almost at Reformation Day, I have to make some reference to John Calvin. It reminds me of uh, Calvin's useful exegetical methodology, which was when he came to some quandary some disagreement among scholars as to how a text might be taken Uh, Calvin would always say it may be read this way or it may be read that way but in the end of the day it doesn't really matter which way you take it so uh, he did that to preserve the authority of Scripture Uh, the authority of Scripture is not undermined by the limits of our ability exactly to decide what every phrase uh, might mean And uh, even if we don't know exactly what this phrase means the best approach to it seems to be that um, somewhat literally we might say the Lord turns the turning of Zion the Lord turns the turning of Zion and what the Lord had talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 28 was how if Israel stayed on the straight and narrow, if Israel remained obedient in its service of the Lord, the Lord would bless Israel. But if Israel turned away from the Lord, if Israel became disobedient before the Lord, the Lord would bring curses upon his people. And so Deuteronomy 28 is very much about not turning, not turning away, not deviating from the path in which Israel was called to walk. But Deuteronomy 30 says, if you turn away, the Lord will turn you back. The Lord will turn the turning of Israel. Now when you read it in the context of Deuteronomy 30, It seems to be talking about a singular event in the history of Israel. It's it's a very interesting passage that we could spend a lot of time on, where it seems that Moses has moved from talking about two ways in which Israel could walk, the way of faithfulness and the way of disobedience, to suddenly prophesying what would happen in Israel, namely that Israel would turn aside and that the Lord promised in times to come to turn them back. The Lord would turn the turning of Israel. And although this promise, this prophecy, if you will, seems in the context of Deuteronomy 30 to be largely singular in outlook, uh, focusing, we would say, from our perspective, particularly on the exile to come, Psalm 126 seems to suggest that there are multiple fulfillments of this reality in the life of God's people. Um, Psalm 126 begins by talking about how God has the turning of Israel in the past. How God has kept this promise. He's not only made a promise, he's kept a promise. And there's joy in the keeping of this promise as Israel looks back on it. We were like people in a dream. Now, this is not a nightmare. This is a good dream. This is a dream that leads to waking up with laughter and joy. That's what happened here. Um, And part of what it brings, makes clear to us in a wonderful sort of way is that this turning that the Lord brings into the life of his people comes as a surprise. Comes at a moment when they weren't anticipating it. Comes in effect when they were all but hopeless. And it comes then with a special kind of joy that a surprise can bring. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that such a thing could happen? And how marvelous it is, marvelous in our eyes, making us glad, but so marvelous, the psalm says, that the whole world reflects on it. The whole world says the Lord has done great things for them. That would have been true at the time of the exile, wouldn't it? But it would have been true at other times in Israel's history, which this psalm seems to be indicating here. This psalm seems to be saying that, generally speaking, as we look at the history of God's people, he blesses them when they're obedient and punishes them, disciplines them when they're disobedient. But beyond that general pattern in the life of God's people, there are also those moments of surprise. The mysterious workings of the Lord when he does things unanticipated, unexpected, marvelous in their eyes. And I think when we look at the history of the church, when we look at the history of the Old Testament... Uh, We can see that it's not only Psalm 126 that suggests this repeated pattern of turning the turned. I think we can begin to see it in uh, many places. It's referred to in several psalms. It's referred to in many prophets. This anticipation of the Lord working in surprising ways to bring a kind of restoration. The greatest indeed, perhaps in the Old Testament, was the return from exile. But there were other moments of surprising turning in the lives of the patriarchs, in the lives of David. Uh, in, in many circumstances, the Lord is at work. And I think um, uh, perhaps as we're on the eve of Uh, Reformation Day. Um, I'm expecting at any moment the national news to arrive here to want to interview President Kim and others about uh, Reformation Day and excitement that will grip the nation as we celebrate that great holiday. Uh, When we look back at the Reformation, uh, it's a surprising event isn't it? Who would have anticipated uh, a monk in a little school, a new little school, a new relatively unimportant little school, would suddenly be the avenue by which God would begin a massive reformation of his church. Uh, Next year in April, I have to anticipate it now. I may not be invited back. Um, Next year in April will be the 500th anniversary Of Luther appearing before the diet at Worms uh, to make his great defense of his teaching, his great defense of the authority of Scripture. And again who could have anticipated that a monk, little brother Martin as he referred to himself, would be able to stand against the powers of the Empire and the powers of the Church And succeed the the speech is usually remembered uh, for the phrase here I stand Uh, just as Hebrew scholars can't always exactly agree on everything historians can't always exactly agree on everything and whether he actually said here I stand is a matter of some debate historians love to go and spoil all the best stories But as I've been thinking about that speech, it strikes me that the really important words Luther spoke there was, God help me. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. It's the dependence on God that is inspiring in what Luther said, because he recognized he could do nothing in his own strength. The whole cause was up to God and that's what we find here in Psalm 126 the days of the glory of the turning of the turned have passed away for Israel whether this is a post-exilic psalm or at some other point and Israel is suffering its joy and gladness in the earlier restoration has been turned to tears and suffering in its present state, and I think many of us sort of feel that we're in that position now, that the glories of bygone eras of awakening and reformation and renewal seem to have passed away. And at least for the church in America, this seems to be a very dark and weak and suffering moment. It's exacerbated by cultural change, uh, where Christianity in America, when I was a boy, was revered and looked up to and admired, at least in public, if not in reality. And today that's all changed. And we feel a cultural dislocation as Christians, many of us, as well as a spiritual, much more profound, struggle in our day. And maybe you feel that once in a while as a student at a little seminary in a state far away from the real centers of power. I wrote, I have a small suggestion to improve politics in America. We ought to move the national capital from Washington to Kansas. But anyway, I I digress. We live in an era where the church is remarkably weak and frustrated and divided. And we as Reformed Christians, although we can look back on glory days of Reformed Christianity, see Reformed Christianity perhaps weaker than many forms of Christianity today. And What are we to make of that? How are we to react to that? I think Psalm 126 helps us. Because in suffering, in weakness, in struggle, what does the psalmist do? He prays. He prays. Uh, He prays to the Lord who has restored that the Lord would restore. I think that should be our prayer as well. Uh, That the Lord would be with his church in suffering, but the the Lord would also move in surprising, mysterious, unexpected ways to restore his church in our time. Uh, A restoration would be like rivers in the desert. That's what the psalmist says. It would be as unexpected, as unlikely, as rivers in the desert but there are occasionally flash floods in the desert. And that's what we're to pray for. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we may be weeping, we may be suffering, but in that weeping and suffering, we should be sowing. Sowing the word, sowing the gospel, sowing the truth. What wonderful image this is of sowing Sowing, which is, I'm told, not pleasant, not easy, not immediately rewarding. That's what this psalmist sees his life as being. But he knows that the promise of the Lord is that as we sow the truth of the gospel, as we sow the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation in Him, there will be a harvest. We know there'll be a harvest at the last day, don't we? When all the elect have been evangelized and brought in and Christ returns in glory, there'll be the harvest of the last day. I think this Psalm encourages us to think there may be other harvests along the way. a Harvest to be sure in the ordinary ministry of the word and the life of the church, but harvest also in surprising moments when the Lord manifests his greatness amongst us and brings joy into our hearts and delights us. We must not despise the day of small things, but it's all right to learn, yearn, and pray for days of greater things. And that's how we should be praying, I think. Praying that we be faithful in our weakness, but that the Lord would also delight us with a glimpse of his glory in harvest, in turning the turn to him again. May God encourage you uh, that whether you are only a sower or whether you are privileged also to be a reaper, that you are serving him and advancing his cause. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are the God of restoration, uh, that you are the God who controls all of history And although we may not always see the the pattern or the purpose, you are fulfilling your will. You are glorifying yourself. You are gathering the elect. And you are building the church of Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged to be part of that great work. Uh, Whether we sow with tears or reap with joy in our own lives, uh, may we know that we are serving you and you will be glorified. Hear us and renew your church in our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.